Acts chapter 5, if you go to the same chapter we were in this morning with Pastor Ingram's message, Acts chapter number 5, we're going to go and visit this chapter once again, and I'm certainly grateful for the message this morning. I believe that both messages really do set up what we're going to deal with here tonight. Acts chapter number 5, just want to say a couple of words here, it is certainly wonderful this conference. I know many uh, folks here uh, for the very first time, in fact, I, I think we may have already asked this, but I'd just be curious, how many of you, this is the very first time you've ever been to the Holiness Slash Victory Conference? Can I see your hands, please? That's wonderful, just a wonderful, uh, good to have you here. I trust it won't be your last, but it is certainly uh, good to make friends, and I know many of you uh, have been several times, and it's always a blessing uh, to see again or get uh, reacquainted with folks we've gotten to know over the years. Uh, many of you know that uh, I work with Minutemen Ministries, and uh, we travel in ministry as well as uh, serving here as vice president of Baptist College of Ministry. But we also travel in uh, youth evangelistic ministry. And, uh, and if, uh, if you just look at the back of your book, there's a little ad. Don't look there now. But anyway, later on you can look. And there's an ad there about our ministry. It has a little website. I won't say much about it except that our ministry is really twofold. Our uh, burden to reach uh, uh, young people that uh, do not know Jesus Christ. It's an evangelistic outreach. And uh, I know for ours, we've just had five weeks and we have seen over 100 teenagers trust Jesus Christ, and uh, many of them have never heard the gospel before. So it's a frontline evangelist. I get thrilled when I hear about Cameroon and these kind of things. Don't get me wrong, but I have the thrill of doing that pretty much every week, just like these, these missionaries do, except uh, mine aren't natives. Well, kind of they are, but anyway, uh, uh, but anyway they're whatever. I guess... Uh, but we, uh, it's a thrill to preach the gospel, see them come to know the Lord. So if you think that ministry might be help to your church, we have a, a one for Christian schools, churches with Christian schools, and one for churches that do not have Christian schools, and you can see that, that there as well. And my wife and I travel in other evangelistic work as well. We do revival meetings and things, but a large part of our time is involved with that. We also have evangelist Bobby Bosler, who travels with our ministry. In fact, he's out right now. He's down in Florida, where uh, most smart people usually are at this time of year. But uh, uh, you say, why in the world this? is a little side note why do you have the conference in february so the spiritual wimps will stay home that's why okay so that's a compliment okay so uh, so i'm just teasing but anyway don't sell that to bobby i'm not uh, inferring that he's here for the, not here for the wrong reason but anyway uh but anyway our, tra- our ministry travels and youth evangelistic work and it certainly is a thrill to see the lord work i just wanted to mention that i know many of you know that but some may not and i certainly wanted to make you aware of that we are certainly thrilled with what the lord is doing And I really do believe this. I work in the Christian school side of our ministry. I really do believe, I believe we could see a revival among young people today. I really do believe that. And the reason I believe it is because in some measure I get to see it every week. I see young people totally turned around. And it is the power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God, and uh, it it turns them around. It just, it works. And revival is a wonderful thing. The measure, I don't always know the measure, but I have found that every week, we trust God and we use the means he has given us and dependence upon his word and his spirit, somebody gets touched. Somebody gets revived. And it's a great joy. And I really do believe God wants to do even a greater work among our young people. And, of course, so we see that even here in our college. See young people come and really experience God doing a reviving work in their heart. And that's what it's all about. See young people completely turned around. You're young people all over the world that when they came here as freshmen, I remember thinking to myself, that guy's never going to make it. I mean, I hope he'll make first semester, maybe at least, you know, at least we get his money for first semester. No, uh, you know, I hope he doesn't get shipped too soon. Uh, but anyway, no, I'm just teasing. But the point is, some of them get revived. Kids, you never, th- I mean, get totally turned around. Now out serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. And uh, so it's a thrill to see that the revival does work. And uh, I trust that uh, 
Uh, just those comments here will encourage your heart. Well, I want to go to Acts chapter 5, and I'd like to preach an unusual message. I know this is really an unusual message, but I want to preach on the church that nobody wanted to join. The church that nobody wanted to join. And it was a church that was in the midst of one of the most rapid multiplications that has ever occurred in the history of mankind. And yet nobody wanted to join it. Now, doesn't that sound a little strange to you? Before we get into the text, I remember back probably uh, 15 years ago, I was on a, a board, of uh, just a temporary board that was going to be doing a citywide campaign in a certain city. And uh, I was with a lot of good men, a lot of men I respect, and a lot of other men that uh, I didn't know, and, and we uh, were working on, on this, and I was working with an evangelist friend of mine, and we came to, it was really actually this evangelist friend was trying to do this in many different cities, but I was also uh, on the board there, the particular, the board was there working on one in the city in which the, kind of the hub was, and now I remember that we were preparing for this meeting, and I was just, at that time, maybe 39 years old, 38, 39 I was young, and um, I remember they, had, a, 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 they had, had somehow worked it out with some marketing guy. He was a Christian marketing guy, but he got up, and he was the one they had looked to to package the citywide campaign. So he explained to the board how he, was, how he came up with uh, his, uh, his theme and the way he's going to package it. They were going to do billboards and, and different things. I don't remember all that we were going to do, but he explained how they came up with the theme, and here's what he did. He went to all the unsaved employees in his, his uh, organization and he had a list of words like revival, blood, um, salvation, Jesus Christ. And he said, which of these words turn you off? They're negative, mark through them. And he packaged the campaign with the words that were left. I remember I'm sitting here 38, 39 years old. I'm saying, this, does, this is not right. This can't be right. And yet I'm going to be dead honest with you. And I, there's some good men in there, and please, I would never mention their names, but the silence was deafening. Yeah. Nobody said anything. I'm thinking to myself, I don't think unsaved people are supposed to package our revival meetings. Yeah. <laughs> so let's look at this. In fact, I'll be honest with you. This morning I was... Stirred when Dr. Flanders was talking about this. I know we're visiting again. The Reader's Theater stirred me, just stirred me. Because I do believe what we are, and we have been on a slide, and this particular issue, I think, has have overtaken us where we sometimes I'm not even sure we see it anymore. So let's look at the text of Scripture I've chosen here. Let's look, first of all, verse 11 is not the text, but we'll read it first, then we'll go to verse 13 where we find our text. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Of course, this is out the Ananias and Sapphira event as was preached this morning. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. I want you to note that phrase because it's in the text. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. <laughs> so after this Ananias and Sapphira thing, basically what the, the Bible is saying here is all the people basically said, we don't want to join those people. <laughs> We're not interested in joining that group. Did you see what happens to their church members? <laughs> they're disobedient. I mean, they're zapped. They're gone. Now, without doing damage, and I certainly don't want to be irreverent, but if we could take this scenario in the modern-day modern scenario, can you imagine Peter, the pastor of the church, the day after Ananias and Sapphira are killed? Okay. And he's meeting with his staff. 
And his staff is looking at Peter. Peter, what are you thinking? You just killed two people. Words all over town. Nobody wants to join us. Another guy says, hey, we hired Barna this morning. He's been all over town doing his surveys. And he's basically said 99% of the people have no interest in joining the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. What were you thinking, Peter? Another guy stands up and says, hey, listen, Peter, we're going to have to change the slogan on our church. I've got a couple ideas. How about the church where people are dying to give? That would be a good one. Another staff member stands up, you know, well, since they went to heaven, maybe we should take the heaven theme, you know. Let's, you know, maybe take some, change our church to Southern Gospel since that's all they talk about is heaven, you know, and we'll talk about come to our church and go to heaven, maybe sooner than you think. <laughs> you can imagine, again, I'm just being facetious, that's certainly not what happened here, but that's what would happen today. The church, nobody wanted to join. Seems kind of stunning. It's very interesting to me that that word durst literally has the idea that the idea of dared. Nobody dared join them. Another definition is nobody was brave enough to join them. That's the other a nuance. So there's another nuance is nobody had the courage to join them. So great fear fell on everybody and nobody wanted to join the church. Now I want you to notice the second part of this, but although there was the reluctance there was also something else that happened. If you look at the second part of the verse, it says, but the people magnified them. This is an, uh, an explanation coming from the pulpit commentary. But on the contrary, the people magnified them, treated them with the utmost respect, and spoke of them with all honor. So understand that this church that nobody wanted to join, although people said, no, I'm not joining that group of people, they had great respect and great honor. And I'm convinced in a moment that what we're talking about, the church that nobody wants to join is a church that is respected. <laughs> Now, the real problem is verse number 14. Because here's very clearly we see it doesn't seem like anybody wants to join the church, but in verse number 14 it says, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. (laughs) That seemed a little incongruous with the verse before. You should see commentaries try to dance around this one. In fact, most of them, I think, get it totally wrong. But Walvert and Zuck, I think, got it right. Here's exactly what they said. Um, they said, in spite of the reluctance of the unsaved to join the group of believers, more and more men believed, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. <laughs> they understood the spiritual paradox. Although in a certain sense, people said, no, I don't want to join that church. Yet the truth is, many of them did. <laughs> the word believers there is a present participle, which the idea these are people who are believing. And friends, I want to understand that as we'll look at it, if you would please, at verse number one of chapter number six, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Then look at verse number 7 of chapter number 6. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So here's a church that nobody wanted to join and yet it was experiencing some of the most rapid, phenomenal growth that any church in history has ever experienced. (laughs) Seems to be a paradox. Yet I do not believe that it is. So first of all, we looked at the seeming problem. It seems like we've got a problem here. And yet the balance of the message is one to deal with the supernatural solution. What was the solution? We obviously, you know, we live in the day. You know, again, if I can go back to that staff meeting for a moment, I can imagine somebody saying to Peter, Hey, Peter, there went the seeker sensitive. 
There's no seekers want to come to our church. It just went out the door. I mean, they, they, in other words, they're, they're, they were in a situation where humanly nobody wanted to join them. And yet, they did. Now, friends, I believe we have been in a situation in our culture and obviously, we all package our churches in the sense you got to have, you know, you have to have a, a sign and all that. I understand that. But many times we have become to depend upon it. So what was it about this church that caused them to have a supernatural solution to what seems an absolute marketing disaster? What was the thing about the church that caused people to get saved and join it even though they didn't want to? You know what I found about a lot of unsaved people? They don't want to get saved. You know what I find? I can't get them saved, and I can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. You know what I found in my meetings preaching to teenagers? They don't want to get saved. But you know what? They do. Because there is power in the gospel and the power in the Spirit of God. So let's look at the supernatural solution, and these have been alluded to some today, but I'm going to spend some time just briefly mentioning some of them, and then we'll spend time on some of them a little bit more. But the very first thing has been already alluded to today, but I want us to mention a little bit more, and that is believing expectant prayer. Believing expectant prayer. Look, if you would, please, to verse number 29. Of course, they had already had that incident in uh, chapter number 4 here. And uh, they had already been threatened. And so in verse number 30, they, they, uh, they, they're praying. And at the very end, they finally give their requests. And in verse number 30, uh, actually verse number 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So the first prayer request was, Lord, you know, isn't it interesting to me? I don't know about you, but if I was in their case, I'd have come back and said, Lord, you've got to stop the persecution. <laughs> Do you know they didn't ask for a stop of persecution? They asked for boldness to speak the word. They were expecting the persecution to continue. All they wanted to make sure is they didn't compromise or they didn't back down. So they prayed for boldness to preach the word. And the second thing they asked for is there in verse number 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of that holy child Jesus. Now I want you to just keep in the back of your mind that little word name because in a moment we're going to see something that I think is helpful. Now the answer, we've got to ask ourselves, did God answer their prayer? And the answer is that he did. Now, again, we're going to move through this quickly. But in verses 31 and 33, the very first request is answered. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Certainly the Lord answered that request. What about that second request? Look down at verse number th- uh, verse number. Um, or chapter number 5, verse number 16. There's several verses that deal with this request for healing. Verse 16, There came also a multitude out of the cities round about under Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. That's, they're very key there. And they were healed, every one. Notice the reference to the enemy. When they were praying, how were they praying for these healings to take place? In the name of that holy child, Jesus. Now, whenever you hear the idea of the name of Jesus Christ, the name has the idea of authority. Now, think about this for a moment. 
Maybe you remember this back when you were a kid. I, I couldn't point to one incident where this occurred, but certainly from time to time this would. I imagine I'm in the kitchen, and my mother says to me, Jimmy, that's what they called me back then, Jimmy, go outside and tell your brothers and sisters it's time for dinner. So I'd walk outside, and everybody's goofing around outside, having a good old time, you know, and, and I'd say, hey, it's time for dinner. Come on in. And you know what they would do? They would keep on playing. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, they just keep on playing. They'd act like you didn't say much. Then you'd say, Mom says it's time for dinner. Do you know what? In our house, that made a difference. That made a big difference. For those of you that did not know my mother and never saw those brown eyes flash, you do not know what I'm talking about. And uh, when I said Mom, said everybody's there. They're right in. Why? Because my authority didn't carry any weight. <laughs> my name, I couldn't say, hey, Jimmy says you come in now. <laughs> I guarantee you my younger brother John would have laughed at me. He would have laughed. He would have. But uh, that name didn't do very good. But I would say, well, the moment I said mom says, they're carried with it authority. We've all done that. Times when we had to go ask somebody to do something and we tell them to do that and they're not too interested and say, oh, by the way, this comes from, you know, I mean, whoever it might, the boss might be. And, and immediately it changes things. Why? Because their name carries with it authority. So I'm convinced, although we're obviously, we're talking here about a request for healing, I want us to see that I'm convinced that really part of what the request was, was a a request for the defeat of the enemy. And friends, I will tell you, when you and I go to battle, and when it comes prayer, I will tell you, is a battle, and it is a spiritual battle. Now, I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced, that one of the reasons we are so powerless is because we are prayerless. Now, I'm not just saying this because it's the thing to say. I believe with all my heart, prayer is where it's at. It is where it's at. Now, I'm all for preaching, but I want to tell you something. My brother John has put it this way. You've heard this. Preaching without prayer is powerless. Now, we need preaching. And he has put it this way. Praying without preaching lacks detonation. It certainly is important as well. But prayer. And I will tell you today, the truth is, and I really was tempted to pull this, but I'm not old enough. You all remember when Charlie Kittrell made us admit how we were doing spiritually and we all felt like bums? I want you to think for a moment, how much time a day do you pray? What if I were to ask you to stand? How many of you pray over five minutes a day? I mean, you know you do. You pray on the average over five minutes a day. How many pray over 10 minutes a day? How many pray over 15 minutes a day? I think we would be absolutely stunned. And the truth is, we may have a church that nobody wants to join. And the truth is, nobody is joining. And maybe the problem is, we're not on our knees praying. There is a battle, friends. And there is an enemy. And certainly we need boldness in proclaiming the gospel. But there is an enemy. And the only way you can defeat him is on your knees. And when you get on your knees, you can't defeat him. Your name carries no weight, but his name always defeats him. In the name of Jesus Christ, I will tell you it carries authority. Don't have time to preach completely on the wonderful truths of the enthroned Christ. A conference a few years ago opened my eyes and illumined it out of Ephesians 1 and 2 of the fact that not only am I identified with Jesus Christ in his death, not only am I identified with his resurrection, hallelujah, I am identified with his ascension. 
And right now, in a very real sense, I have been raised up together with him in the heavenlies. And right now, in a very real spiritual sense, friend, if you are saved, you are right now in Jesus, and he is seated at the right hand, and he is far above all principalities and powers. And Jesus, I want you to understand, we all know he's above the enemy, but we're in the enemy. In a certain sense, we are above the enemy because we are in the one who is above the enemy. And we take our place at the right hand in a very real sense, just like we believe in Romans 6, we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive unto God. We reckon ourselves at the right hand of God, and we take our position there, and we submit ourselves, therefore, to God, like we heard in the first session. And we say, okay, God, you've got it all. Whatever you want, I want. You know what the Bible says after you submit yourselves, therefore, to God? Resist the devil. Basically, it's real simple. I, to me, it's not complex at all. Lord Jesus, we want your will, and in Jesus' name, we don't want his will. And we claim it's defeat. Whatever Satan's trying to do, we're against it. In Jesus' name, we're against it. I'm convinced, friend, this is where the real battle's at. That's why the devil just runs right over us. You know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against. Most of us think we do. Get ticked off at your wife, get irritated with the kids, get frustrated with the deacons, get frustrated with the pastoral staff, get frustrated with your people. You think the battle's flesh and blood, and when you do, the devil's laughing because he knows they are not the problem. He is, the devil is. And until you keep, when you get your focus on flesh and blood, you've fallen right into the trap. When you're, listen, friends, every week I, we're in, a, in evangelistic meetings, I can tell you, friends, I'm always in a battle, but in those ways, the battle is really pronounced. And you know what I found? Satan always tries you to get you to relax to flesh and blood, thinking that's the problem. Like, why didn't my wife do that? She irritated me. Right when I got a breach. Or why did my, you know, why did that, oh, that, that church member, you know, always does that. Five minutes before I preach, he comes and just frustrates the fire out of me. The preachers know what I'm talking about? Didn't hear any amens? We think the battle's flesh and blood, but it's not. It's not. There's an enemy behind. I'm convinced, friends, if we're going to have a church, you see, here, let me just put it this way. Separated Bible Christianity does not work without God. You can have standards. You can have separation. You can have all the trappings, all of which I'm for, but you take God out of the equation, you can't build the church. God has fixed it that you can't do it right biblically without him. Now, you can so-called build a church, as we've heard, without God by compromise. But it really is, like we said, a mile, it's, a mile, it's an inch deep, mile wide. It's not accomplishing God's purpose. So we understand prayer. I'm just simply saying prayer. Not only, not only personal prayer, what about corporate prayer? Yes. How many, if I were to ask you to say, okay, how many corporate prayer meetings do you have a week in your church? How many have one? Oh, yeah, we got Wednesday night prayer meeting. Yeah. So how alive is that prayer meeting? I want to tell you some corporate prayers, buddy. I love corporate prayer. It's where it's at. You say, well, preacher, I've been in a lot of boring prayer meetings. I, I've struggled. I've sat down to pray, and God seemed a million miles away. I will tell you, friend, the problem is not with God. And I have learned, and I'm still learning, that you can sit down and have no desire to pray, and within 10 minutes you can be in the presence of God, maybe sooner. The issue is we give up. 
You get in a poor corporate prayer meeting, said, this thing, this thing stinks, this thing rots, nobody, you know, I mean, I, the trouble is I grew up in a preacher's home and my parents were just very honest about what, you know, my dad would sometimes, I'd be in a service and my dad would lean over and say, this guy is boring, this is about the worst message I've ever heard. When he got a little older, he didn't realize that his hearing was faded, so about three rows could hear it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> My dad used to say there is nothing worse in all of the world than a prayer meeting when God is not there. But he says there is nothing more glorious in all the world than a prayer meeting when God shows up. You say, well, preacher, how do you have a corporate prayer meeting and make sure God, listen, God will show up. There's Bible truth. If you've got a vertical problem, you've got a horizontal problem. A lot of times you've got problems in that corporate, it won't work. So get them right. Get right with each other. And guess what? God will walk in the room. I remember years ago, I was... Our team traveling, I always tell our team, it's not a matter of when you're going to hate each other. Or, no, that's the wrong word. I'm, when you're going to want to kill each other. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. You always know in training week when they're about to kill each other, you're in for a really great tour. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I found when our team has troubles with each other? Prayer meetings don't go very well. You ever notice that? I remember one time years ago, had a team together. The night before, they had in the field, they were you know, spouting at each other, ticked off at each other. We get in the prayer meeting, ice. I mean, this thing's iced over. Boring. Nobody's praying. All of a sudden, I remembered last night. So I stood up and I said, okay, guys, nobody here but us. Who's fooling who? I saw all the stuff on the field last night. We can't get anywhere with God until you get right with each other. So why don't we start? So one guy stands up and says, I need to talk to you. They walked out, you know. Came back a little bit later. I need to talk to you. They walked out. You know, we got right with each other, and I was involved in it too because I was pretty ticked off at one of the guys. But anyway, <laughs> you know, we all got right with each other and got back to prayer. You know what I found? God showed up. Man, we had a great prayer meeting. That day we saw a Muslim girl saved. We saw God do some remarkable things that day. But I'm convinced, friends, if we just went, well, I guess God's not going to show up to this prayer meeting. No, 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 no. There's, listen, it's like this. In the spiritual realm, God is not, God's not just mysterious. You know, have you ever noticed that in the natural realm, everything makes sense? And when something doesn't make sense, it bugs you. Have you ever noticed that? If you walked outside and saw a car shoot toward the sky, you wouldn't say, oh, that's different. We'll keep walking. No. You'd go, what in the world's going on? You would absolutely not. You, you, and, oh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you go around the building and you see that there's this metal thing. You know, it actually got the, so, you know, had the magnet right up to the magnet. Oh, yeah, now I see what happened. You would have to figure it out, right? You would have to say, well, cars don't just fly up in the air, so what's going on here? Something strange is going on. See, when some law of gravity occur, or law is, is broken in the natural world, it bugs us, and most, uh, most of us are not going to let it alone until we solve it. Well, I'm going to just tell you this, friends. I really believe this with all my heart. The spiritual laws of how God's work are in this, God works are in this book. And when a prayer meeting's boring, there's a reason. <laughs> And God has a way out of it. There's always a way out. And when you're struggling in your personal prayer, there's an answer. There's several different things it could be. It could be the enemy. It could be you're not right with God. It could be a matter of unbelief. It could be a lot of things. But in the spiritual realm, it always makes sense. So prayer 
is a very, very important part of a church that nobody wants to join, and multitudes do. It's the key, friends. It's where the battle's won. And I'm just, I'm just, just saying with each one of us, I would encourage you to say, you know, by the great... I, you say, well, preacher, I, you know, I just... Let me encourage you to do something. I don't know. I don't even know how to put this because I don't want you to get legalistic about it. But sometimes it's not a bad idea to set a certain time limit and get in a room and say, I'm not leaving this room until I can get a hold of God. But prayer's where it's at. It's where we're losing it. Used to be we had what's called spare time. Do you remember that? Now we have Smartphones. Checking the latest score, checking the news, checking this. We don't have spare time anymore. And the truth is, there's people out here, the truth is, if the truth were be known, you do not pray five minutes a day. You do not pray, seriously, five minutes a day, if the truth were known. And you're a pastor of church, and you know it, and the reason you've got problems is simply because you're not in the battle. There's much more that could be said, but I simply want to stir us about the matter of this is a church that nobody wants to join, and everybody does. Prayer. But there's a second thing here, and that is here in verse number 32, all the way down through 37, much of it was read this morning. It's what I'm going to call supernatural love and unity with the brethren. Look at verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. All we can simply say is a thread through this. This is unbelievable unity, and it is unbelievable love one for another. It's unbelievable. And the point is, a church that nobody wants to join, that everybody ends up joining, is always a church that is so alive with revival that their love one for another is seen by everybody. <laughs> And I will tell you, revive, there's only one way you can love all the brethren, and that is revival. You may say, well, preacher, there's somebody that's hard to love. Oh, we all understand there's people harder to love than others, and sometimes I will have to come into a week, and there's some Christian school kids, you're thinking, these kids are hard to love, but I will always found this, Jesus loves them, and if I will surrender to his love, he will love them through me. I can't love them, Jesus, but you do. So I'll tell you what. I'm surrendering to be a vessel. If you want to love them through me, I'm, I'm volunteering. <laughs> now, I am all for separatism. I'm a separatist to the core. I think it's in my DNA. I don't know what my mom and dad did, but I am a separatist. I'm not a neo. <laughs> I, I don't have anything, anything to do with new, it being a neo. I'm just, I, I just, I'm just, it's just the way I am. So I want you to understand, I'm not, this statement does not, I, I not come from any weakness on separatism, but there is something called hyper-separatism. There are some people who separate, and the truth is, it has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with they can't get along with each other. So let's put a little spiritual spin on it, and let's make it a little bit of a, 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 a separatist issue, and I'm taking a stand for God, brother, and I'm separating from my brother in Christ. And I will tell you, friends, there are some of that that has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with somebody who can't get along with somebody else. And I will tell you, friends, that's not, that, the point is this. I believe that God is big enough. You're in a local church and you're struggling with somebody else or you're in a team like we're in. It does not matter what the situation is. If there's somebody you're struggling with, God is big enough to solve the problem. Amen. You know, why do people divorce? Well, I can't get along with my spouse. I don't want to live like this. Oh, so where's God? When do we have this funeral? I don't care how bad your marriage is, God is big enough to put it back together. Amen. 
See, God is big enough to do it. God's big enough to solve your, your, your irritations, your problems. And the truth is, we live in a culture that does not confront our problems. They run from them. So I got a problem in this church, boom, go across town. Got a problem, just give them two years, I have another problem, boom, they're another church, boom, you know, another church, another church. Why? Because they don't learn how to biblically solve problems. And if you love people, you don't separate from them unnecessarily. If you do separate from them biblically, you will do it with great grief and great tears and great brokenness and great burden. Love for one for another. And it's absolutely killing us. Listen, in your dormitory room, if you're about to strangle a roommate, God's big enough. And I tell our team, listen, if you've got a problem with somebody, you've got two choices. You can either grit your teeth and wait for the end of the tour and say, man, when I'm done with this tour, I'm out of here. I never have to deal with that person again. I said, you can do that or you can access the grace of God. So make your choice. You know what I found when a team is unified? Because I've done this now for 31 years with teams. You know what I found when a team is unified? It is almost unstoppable. It is unstoppable. Listen, your petty little differences need to be worked out because there's something bigger than you. It's called the cause of Jesus Christ. Work out your problem with that staff member. Work out your problem with each other. Work out your problem in the Sunday school class. Work out your problem. Work it out. There's a God that's big enough. And the truth is, the way you start working it out is realizing that you're part of the problem. Have you ever noticed with your wife when you think she's all the problem that it only makes it worse? You know, honey, if you just get things cleared up, this thing would get okay. You know what I found? Well, you say, preacher, I, you see, she, I recognize I'm just 5% of the problem. She's 95% of the problem. Sure, preacher, see, see, we got to deal with the 95. No, no, no. You know, you, you, what you got to do is you got to deal with the five. You know what you'll find, you know what you find, sir, when you deal with your 5%? You'll find out it was 85%. Because the moment you get broken and you get humble about it, God shows you it wasn't five, buddy, you're the big problem. Get it together. My point is, friends, that many times we have conflict with other people because we're not willing to deal with our part of the conflict. <laughs> Recognizing, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that was provocative. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift at the altar, go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. It says, if thy brother have ought against thee, you say, preacher, what does that mean? It means that you wrong somebody and you know it. You said unkind things to your wife, you know it. You know what you need to do? Go back and say, honey, it was wrong, it was selfish, I shouldn't have done it. There's some men in this room that never have said that. You don't even know how to say the words, I was wrong. My point simply is this, friends. When we, you want a church that's living in revival, loving one another, it's a church maybe nobody wants to join, but everybody will end up joining it. <laughs> they loved one another. I mean, absolutely love one another in an absolutely supernatural way. We just got to admit it, friends. I know as capitalists, we're a little uncomfortable with the verse. Let's face it. But the point I'm making is cutting through the chase. It illustrated that they loved and they were unified and they loved one another in an absolutely phenomenal supernatural way. Now that brings us to a third important ingredient in this church, and that is they were were powerful witnesses. Verse 31 of chapter 4, they spake the word of God with boldness. 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Acts 5.42, this is phenomenal. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So this was a church that was praying. 
This is a church that was unified, loving one another. And this was a church that couldn't shut up about the gospel. You know what I found when I'm living in revival? I want to tell, I just want to talk to everybody. You know what I find when I'm not in revival? I don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? And a church that is living in that revival is a church that is powerful in its witness just everywhere, just everywhere. We're not talking about just on one night. We're talking all the time, everywhere. Every, every, Every day is another opportunity to find somebody that needs Jesus. Now, that brings us really to the last point. I was hoping to get here a tad sooner, but let's get here and there is one last dynamic of the church that nobody wanted to join, but a lot of people ended up joining. And uh, folks, you have to understand, some commentators say that, you know, the Pentecost there was 3,000, and then in Acts 4 there was 5,000, and there's no number any time after that because many commentators believe because the number got astronomical. You start adding those numbers up, this is phenomenal. It's a church nobody wanted to join, and yet, again, experiencing supernatural growth. And this last one, I believe, is key. And I know we've talked about it today, but I want us to spend our last moments talking about it, and that is this church not only knew how to pray, not only was loving and unified, one with another, not only had powerful witness, but number four, they dealt with sin. They dealt with sin. Now, I think we're all a little bit, you know, when you read chapter number five, it, it is stunning, as even Brother Ingram kind of alluded to us. It's a stunning passage of Scripture, and I appreciated his emphasis on the, on the focus here. But I think we all recognize that Peter, under clear direction of the Lord, dealt with the sin. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to see, and let's go, if we could, please, to chapter number five now. Look at verse number three. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Verse number four, toward the end, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. For those of you in systematic theology, when we're trying to prove biblically the deity of the Holy Spirit, this passage of Scripture is one of the great passages. We all recognize it. That's not my point right here. The word lie is a very interesting word because it comes from the word we use in the English, pseudo. Now, we, back when I was in college, they talked about a pseudo-fundamentalist. And what they meant by that is somebody who said they were packaged themselves as a fundamentalist, but they weren't. Okay, that was, there was some debate about that. That's my just point would be that that's how the word is used, pseudo. It's somebody who claims to be something that they're not. One commentary in talking about this verb, you talked about it this way. It means to live a lie. So what was it about Ananias and Sapphira's sin that was lying or living a lie to the Holy Spirit? I want you to see a few nuances. Number one, there's this nuance, and the first nuance is they were disobedient to the Holy Spirit. Now, my conjecture is simply this, that obviously the Holy Spirit was leading them to do something. We don't know what that was. Maybe it was to give what they gave, but obviously they'd be honest about it. Maybe it was to give the whole thing. I don't know, but clearly... There's at least a nuance here that the Holy Spirit was involved in this event. Now, thinking about this for a moment, we talked about this yesterday, but I want to be clear because there's so much confusion today on this. The Spirit of God uh, does lead us in our day. We talked about Acts 13, and the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. But some might ask, 
Well, how do you know the difference between the Spirit speaking to you and you're just your own heart? Or how do you know your different, the difference from the Spirit speaking to you and uh, the enemy? By the way, do we have a, do we have a heart that's a problem? The, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is... Can your heart deceive you, making you think God is leading you when he's not? Can that happen? Yeah, sure it can. And then what about 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 14, and no marvel, for even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So can the enemy package himself as the Holy Spirit when he's not? And the answer is yes. So you say, well, preacher, how in the world? Has there been a lot of people saying they were led of the Spirit or led of God who were clearly not led? Yes. We say, well, preacher, how are you going to know? I don't want to be led by my deceitful heart. I don't want to be led by the enemy. So how do you know? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I will tell you, you know why Satan counterfeits Holy Spirit direction? So you will lose confidence in it. He doesn't want you to believe that the Holy Spirit leads. And so do we have a lot of mess? We have all kinds of mess out there today and all kinds of examples of people who said they were led who were thinking, that's crazy. That's clearly not God. So it brings it into disreputes of Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit's leadership. You say, well, preacher, how do you know the voice of the Holy Spirit versus the voice of your own heart or the voice of the enemy? Let's just give me a couple thoughts that have helped me. Number one, 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him is When God's Holy Spirit is leading, there is absolutely no darkness there's no doubt, there's no death, you know this is God. Now, let me just simply say that one of the ways you identify your own heart and the enemy, have you ever done something that you thought God was leading and it ended up being a disaster? You know, friends, just like I mentioned a moment ago in the spiritual realm, don't leave things unturned. You need to go back and ask yourself, was that my own heart? Learn. I remember when I was very young, I was a senior in college at the time, and I went to hear a well-known preacher at the time in town there. It was not at the college. It was at a, another uh, big church in town. I went to hear this preacher, and I mean, he preached. He was a great pulpiteer. And I remember that night he preached a message on just, I don't know, total surrender or something I can't remember. And I don't even remember why, but I went home. I didn't have much, but I emptied my bank account, and I gave it away, just gave it away. You know what happened? Nothing. So I called up my dad. I said, Dad, I said, you know, I heard this preaching. I thought God wanted me to give all my money away. I gave it away. I don't know what to do. I'm out of money. <laughs> I can't remember. I, either my dad laughed or he groaned. <laughs> and he basically said, Jim, how? in other words, he instructed me. That wasn't the Lord. There are times God leads, friends, supernaturally, doesn't he? You say, well, how do you know God's leading? Because when he leads, it always works supernaturally. And it's clear as a bell. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Has God ever led you? Does God, does God always lead us to the same applications? No. Does he lead us to applications? And the answer is Yes. He could take the same principle and he can lead some person to make a stricter application because of needs in their life. Years ago, my dad was out soul winning with a converted gangster, George Mensick. 
And uh, my dad was, said they had walked in this house. They had a wonderful opportunity to witness. And all of a sudden, he started feeling his suit coat tucked. And uh, the old gangster said, Preacher, I've got to get out of here. Preacher, we've got to get out of here. Preacher, we've got to go. My dad said, George, George, you know. It's a great opportunity. My dad wanted to keep going. And so George just, Bensick just, the doors open. He just went out the door. And it so flustered my dad, he said he just had to, just, it lost everything. Just had to shut it down, walk out. And George Bensick was pacing around on the front lawn. He said, Preacher, didn't you see it? My dad said, George, what are you doing? What, this is a great opportunity. He said, Preacher, didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? He said, well, see what, George? He said, that deck of cards. There was a deck of cards on the table. Didn't you see it, Preacher? Literally shaking. Here's a man who could not be in the presence of a deck of cards because it was a temptation from his older life. Do you think God leads people to different levels of application? Absolutely he does. The Holy Spirit leads us, and how does he do that? He leads us, obviously, by in him's light, and there is no darkness at all. You just know. There's been times in my life I knew God saying, nope, you don't need to listen to that. Nope, you don't need to watch that. I remember as a teenager, God convicting me of TV programs. Now, my parents were wonderful parents, but television was changing. It was changing from the Andy Griffith show to stuff that was a little more edgy, which the 70s was kindergarten compared to today, but it was still edgy. And my parents, I don't think, really understood it, didn't really on top of it. And so I, I had my list of TV programs. I mean... This is going to relate with my age. On Monday night, it was Gunsmoke. On Tuesday night, it was a YA50. And Wednesday night, it was about 20 minutes of the Bionic Woman before I had to run to church. Always wondered what happened. And then um, <laughs> Thursday night, it was SWAT in the streets of San Francisco. And on Friday night, it was the $6 million man. That was my favorite boy. The Bionic guy, you know. You know, putting his hand through paper walls, throwing styrofoam boulders. It was unbelievable. <laughs> The special effects. <laughs> you know, you're thinking, unbelievable. But I remember the Lord convicted me and said, you don't need to watch it anymore. I remember the time when God said, nope, Hawaii five has got too much violence in it. You don't need to watch it. I said, okay, no more Hawaii five O. I remember when the Steve Austin, the $6 million man, end of the program, went off, obviously committed adultery. It's very clear. And the Lord said, you don't need to watch that garbage anymore. I want to tell you, when I gave up the $6 million man for an eighth grade boy or whatever I was, ninth grade, whatever it was, that was like dying. Now I look back and laugh. But I can guarantee you it was the Holy Spirit of God telling me to get rid of that program. It certainly wasn't the devil. And God will bring us to certain times in our life. He says, that needs to go. You need to change that. That music's no good for you. Have you ever had that happen in your life? How about it, ladies? You wear some clothing. God says, no, that won't cut it anymore. You're going to have to get rid of that. See, God does that. The Spirit of God leads us. And evidently, part of the sin years, the Lord was, the Spirit of God was leading them, and they did not do what the Holy Spirit told them to do. So, certainly, disobedience to the Spirit of God, but there's a second nuance that's obvious here. It's a disobedience to God's Word. Do you think Ananias and Sapphira knew the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Thou shalt not bear. So clearly the second nuance here we see was not only their disobedience to the Spirit of God and his leadership on their life, there was also disobedience to God's Word. And like I mentioned a moment ago about the Spirit's leadership, I should say this, it's always or many times very clearly, it's always based on spiritual principle, spiritual truth from the Word of God. Never violates truth. He is the Spirit of truth. 
But here, obviously, is obedience to God's word. Now, friends, think today about how many times in our churches there is disobedience to clear commands in the word of God. God says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And the truth is, we're talking to people here tonight that routinely compromise in what you watch on your television or on your movie screen. And as a result of that, friends, really what you're doing is your disobedience to God is obviously an issue of quenching the Holy Spirit. And it's a problem in our day. As mentioned earlier in the day, this accommodation to our culture, it's kind of like everybody does it. I mean, most Christians have a television. Most of them are watching this stuff. The issue, obviously, we recognize in our day now, media is so prevalent. You've got televisions. You've got smartphones. You've got all kinds of mechanisms. And I recognize the vehicle in and of itself is neutral in the sense that, you know, there's not an evil smartphone and a good smartphone. There's not an evil television and a good. We recognize the mechanism is neutral. It's what you do with it. See, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be under the, brought under the power of. If you can't control it, you have no business using it. See, that's what God's telling us. But the truth is today, God's people don't control it. So although we know God says, I will set no wicked thing before our eyes, we do. Listen, there are other people in this room that you teach Sunday school on Sunday and you watch anything you please on Monday. I'm telling you, friend, it will not work. It will not work. It is the kind of compromise in our life that is causing us to be churches that maybe nobody wants to, to join and nobody does. Because we don't have the blessing of God. We don't have the power of God. We're grieving the Holy Spirit and we know it. Now, I'm not for externalism for externalism's sake, but I am telling this. When the Holy Spirit's running the show, what happens is you're holy. <laughs> That's his first name, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's running your show in your life. He's going to point out things that need to change. You, need to, you don't need that magazine anymore. And God will work in all of our lives differently, but he's working in all of our lives. He knows what's killing us. He knows what's zapping the power. He knows what the, where the compromise is. He knows what grieves him. He knows it, and we do too. How about the, the verse of Scripture that says women ought to dress modestly? Boy, we've thrown that one out the window. The truth is today, I made this illustration in the past uh, when I'm preaching another message. If you went to Puritan New England with the time machine and you brought a 14-year-old Puritan boy back and brought him down to the average mall, would he have trouble with his thoughts? And the answer is absolutely he would. But the truth is you bring him to the average church, he'd have trouble. Why? Because he'd be introduced to a level of modesty he has never seen. And all I'm simply saying, friends, is uh, when we're disobedient to God's word, it doesn't work. There's another nuance here. There's disobedience to the Holy Spirit, disobedience to God's word. But one last thing, and that is the hypocrisy and acting like you're something that you're not. See, that's the idea of this word pseudo, live a lie. So there's two nuances to this, and we'll conclude. Number one is acting like you got it together when you know you don't. You know what I found in preaching? Nobody can identify with perfection. <laughs> one of the things I appreciate about almost every message is very clearly the preachers have admitted and, and acknowledged their own need for Jesus for everything. Without him, they can't do anything. And the truth is that's the truth for all of us. And you know the one thing I love about that book, The Calvary Road, the Calvary Road is basically taking the mask off and being honest about who you are. 
The truth is, I like what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, the very hell of corruption lies within the heart of the best saint. And the truth is, we all know that. Now, I'm not saying you go and air your, 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 you know, show your dirty laundry to everybody, but the moment God tells you to do it, you do it. If you're in a counseling situation and God says, okay, tell them about that failure in your life, you do it. God just maybe in preaching allows you to say, okay, tell about that issue in your life that you struggled with and what God did to give you victory. You tell it. See, the point I'm simply making is Ananias and Sapphira acted like they were something that they weren't. They acted like they were giving everything when we know it was only a percentage. And the truth is, that's what we do. We act like we're a better Christian than we are. And when revival comes, everybody's just dead honest about where they are with God. It's like sitting down at the Sunday school table and saying, man, had a rough week. And I've appreciated my Sunday school teacher here, uh, Sunday school class here at Falls Baptist Church because there has been an honesty among the men that I have felt has been very, very edifying. You know when somebody's honest, you know what God does? He graces them. I remember years ago a young man saying, now, Brother Van Gelden, I just feel like I need to tell you this because I need some grace. He said, I'm really struggling with the assurance of my salvation. He said, I know what I biblically need to do, but I figure if I tell you and I humble myself before you, God will give me some grace. Well, that's a novel thought. See, I, honestly, what we're talking about in revival, people are just honest. Yeah, I struggle over here, struggle over here, but man, hallelujah for God. You know, we're all needy people, and everything that ever happens in any of our lives is, that's worth anything is because of Jesus. <laughs> he strengthened us, he enabled us, he forgave us, he restored us, and every single failure in our life is another absolute star, startling testimony of what God can do with people who have AIs in their life. You notice that they did beat Ai. God does restore, he does cleanse, and he does give us victory where we've been defeated. He is a God of restoration. But it only comes when we're, we stop acting like we're something that we're not. But there's another nuance to this, and that's like acting like something that you're not could have a different f- feel to it, and that would be acting like you're of the world when you're not. <laughs> Be not conformed to this world. The word conformed is one of those fascinating Greek words. It literally has the idea of being on the outside what you are not on the inside. Inside, you're blood-bought, born again, on your way to heaven, in Jesus, dead to sin, alive unto God. You have everything you need to live a Christian life. And when you and I live worldly, it is a lie. It's a lie. It's an absolutely terrible advertisement for the Jesus that lives within us. We're acting on the outside what we're not on the inside. Listen, friend, if you're saved, born again, on your way to heaven, inside of you, you have everything you need to live the Christian life. You can be discouraged. You can be defeated here tonight or whatever. But the truth is, the real truth is that in Jesus, you have all you need. And be not conformed to this world simply means we have no business looking like a world that is lost and going to hell when we're saved and going to heaven. The word conformed has nothing to do with the inside, has everything to do with the outside. And God says, don't be on the outside what you're not on the inside. Be a very good billboard. (laughs) Now, we have somehow gotten it in our movement today that somehow we've got to look like the world to reach the world. And it even affects kids in conservative circles. You know, I don't want anybody ever to look at me and say, yeah, I know what rock group he listens to. Do you? I don't even want you to look at me and say, yeah, yeah, I know what TV program he likes. 
Do you? Well, the truth is we have a lot of Bible college students and even a lot of Christian high school students as I've walked run around the country who evidently think that way. I remember years ago I was in a church in Kansas and a the pastor said to me, he said, Brother Van Gilder, I've got a teenager. He only comes on Sunday morning. He comes with his family sometimes. And I don't know why, but he wants to talk to you, and he's going to come over during lunchtime. Is that okay with you? I said, sure, send him over. So the kid sits down. He has a, kind of a pad with him. He's taking notes, and he's asking me questions. And, and uh, I was wondering, what, what's going on? It's kind of just strange questions, and kind of like he was being a newspaper reporter. I, and, and so he kind of put the pad down, put his pencil, and he kind of smirked at me. And I thought, okay, now we're getting why he came. He said, now, Brother Van Gelder, said, please don't be offended by this, but he said, look at you. He said, look at the way you dress. I had some docker loafers on. I had khaki pants on. I had some kind of polo. He said, listen, he said, no offense. He said, my teenage friends, they wouldn't listen to you. If you gave them the gospel, they wouldn't listen. You can't win my, my friends to the Lord. He said, now, look at me. <laughs> Or he was decked out. I mean, you know, he was wearing the uniform. You know what I'm talking about? They got a uniform. Got a, you know, Nobel. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They got a uniform. Keeps changing, but they got a uniform. So he was wearing the uniform. And uh, he says, now look at me, man. He said, they'll listen to me. I look like them. I said, okay. So how many of you won? It's a fair question, don't you think? He looks at me, and he's taken aback a little bit by the question. He goes, ah, he said, uh, I think I've won my girlfriend. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's suspect. You know what I'm talking about? She just made a decision to keep you. You know, you you work with teenagers, you get cynical. But anyway, you know, that's what I'm thinking. I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. I'm not like Brother Young that says everything I think. But anyway, so, um, so I didn't say it. And so I'm... um, and I, I want to just tell you this, friends. Any preacher will tell you, it's Jesus who wins them. He just uses us. And, but I felt the need to do this. I looked at him and said, isn't that interesting? I said, you've won one. And I've had the privilege of leading thousands of teenagers to Jesus Christ. And I didn't tell this. And this is how I felt like, looking like a nerd. <laughs> now, this is going to shock you. This is going to shock some of you young preachers. You can wear a belt, preach to teenagers, and they'll get saved. Isn't that a shock? Yeah. You can have teenagers who don't know the color of your underwear and they actually listen to you. I mean, you know the color of their underwear, you know. This one, how about this one? You can preach to teenagers with a part in your hair and they'll actually listen to you. Look at that old guy. Yeah, he's like Sean Hannity. He's got a, yeah, he's got a go over, you know. You know, actually. You know, the truth is, friends, the truth is, when I preach to teenagers, I don't even think about the fact that I, I, I don't look like them. I know I don't look at them. But I am not depending on looking like them to win them to Jesus Christ because I've got a message that if I were to proclaim and God's Holy Spirit will enable me to proclaim it, it's absolutely amazing what it does. Amen. I will tell you just a few nights ago, sitting down with two teenagers, weeping their way to Jesus. It doesn't get better than that. One of them was an atheist kid, was in the school. He debated evolution in in the science class. The kids, they're broken. He's weeping his way to Jesus, took care of his evolution problem. You know, I preached that night. I looked as nerdy as I always do. I am telling you, friend, 
We do not have to look like a world to win the world. And a church that nobody wants, like, I'm not going to join that. Look at that church, man. They got people. I and mean, look at the ladies wearing long skirts. And the men, you know, they're, they're you know, I'm not, I don't want to join that church. But the truth is, when that church is praying, and that church is loving one another in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that church has powerful witness, and that church deals with sin in their life and continues to live in continuous revival, I will tell you what, those people end up getting saved, and they end up going to your church, and they end up, yeah, they end up kind of being like the other people they never wanted to join. <laughs> you know what that's called? A miracle! <laughs> And that's what it's all about. The church that nobody wants to join, that everybody ended up joining, is a church friend that is living in revival. And when you are living in revival, you will deal with your sin. And you will listen to God's Holy Spirit when he convicts you. You will listen to him and say, that TV program's got to go. Burn those CDs. Get rid of that junk. Delete that, uh, that uh, iTunes account. Get that stuff out of your life. When God's Holy Spirit begins to be listened to and obeyed and begins to live in revival, you know what happens? People get saved. I was preaching years ago in a Christian school, and I uh, was coming. The guys were singing. We were singing our final. I was with them singing the final quartet number, and the next thing is I've got to preach. This is one of these moments. I'm ready to get up to preach, and I'm sitting here and thinking, now what message, Lord, what am I supposed to preach tonight? And I don't know how to explain this. Again, I don't know how to explain it. But it was as clear as a bell to me. It was one of those moments where I knew it was God. He said, do not preach. It was so clear to me, I knew if I preached. It was the only time in my life I knew if I preached. The other time in the middle of the message, I think I used it the other day. But this time I knew if I preached, I'd be disobedient to God. I knew it. So the guy stopped singing. I'm thinking, we've got 45 minutes and there's nothing to fill it with. So I walked up to the microphone. And I said, I do not understand this, but God won't let me preach. And somebody out here knows why. A girl began to weep, ran off to get saved. Kids began to line up to give testimonies. We went with 45 minutes of kids, broken, bawling, getting right with God, giving testimonies. During that testimony service, two unsaved kids walked up to the teen captain, pointed at the microphone, said, I don't know what those kids have, but whatever they have, I want it. When's the last time you've had unsaved public school kids point at Christian school kids and say I don't know what they have whatever they have I want it <laughs> never forget when that night was over the principal came up to me and said brother Van Gelder that was the greatest message you never preached <laughs> <laughs> isn't that amazing now I just want to conclude with this thought when unsaved people step on the property I am thrilled they are there See, when Falls Baptist Church, every Sunday, I will tell you every Sunday, there are people that do not look like they're from Falls Baptist Church. You know what I say? Hallelujah. Every other church ought to have somebody at every point of growth. You ought to have a lobby full of people. And the thing I love about it at Falls Baptist Church is people try to win them to Jesus. Remember years ago in the year 2000, we were doing over our wars right out back here, and a kid showed up with a Marilyn Manson T-shirt. You know, I said to myself, that Marilyn Manson T-shirt stinks, but I sure hope the kid in it gets saved. Well, that night was over. That kid had taken that shirt off, thrown it in the fire, burned it, walked up to a team captain, and basically after one of the testimonies, totally impacted by one of the testimonies, says, I don't know what these kids have, but I need it. Do you think that kid came that night saying, yeah, I'm going to burn my shirt down. I'm going to be a nerdy Christian. This is great. No, I don't think so. 
He came, and he probably had no thought of being a coming Christian. Probably it was a very negative thought to him. But before the night was over, he was in. And all I'm simply saying, friends, is the church that nobody wants to join that's on fire for God and revival, multitudes will join. <laughs> it's the desperate need of the hour. Lord, would you be with us? Would you help us? Would you use your word? Would you encourage our hearts? Lord, I don't know what the need is. It may be for some pastor his prayer life's in shambles. Maybe somebody who has an issue they're not getting right with, they've got a problem with another believer and it's killing them. Could be somebody who's, because of other defeat, is defeated in their witness. Could be others who are tolerating sin like we heard of even today, not dealing with it. They've got a wrong thought about accommodation to culture. So, Lord, would you work in hearts, touch us, stir us, help us, I pray.